Okay, so I decided to do something new this time. Instead of having a regular Q&A, I decided to do the Q&A while I'm working out. So I'll just work out and add some commentary to what I'm doing and answer some questions in the meanwhile. The first question is, what am I doing in India? So yes, I am in India, Chennai right now, doing a retreat with uh, some other people who join me here. And uh, it's a seven-day biohacking retreat where we do different kinds of tests, 180 biomarkers, VO2 max test, DEXA scan, calcium scan, MRI. You can yeah, do a lot of different kinds of tests to see, okay, what is my current state of health? And this is what I've been doing for the last few days. It's one of my last days here. And uh, you can check out a future video about more in, de in detail about what I did here and uh, how you can join in the future as well. But before I answer the next question, I'll just start and <laughs> doing some lifting as well. Usually when I am doing resistance training, then my main goal primary, primarily right now is to do strength-based movements, and this is going to just help me you know, to maintain muscle tissue, muscle strength, and bone density. I did the DEXA scan. My bone density is like super high. My muscle mass is also very high, and my main goal for body composition and training is uh, strength. So I'm kind of doing like a more powerlifting style of training. And when I am doing resistance training, then I'm focusing mostly on these compound movements like bench press, squat, deadlift, those are the biggest, most effective ways to increase muscle strength. And in this gym, you know, it's a hotel gym, but it's a very nice hotel gym. It's much better than average hotel gyms. Uh, we don't have a, like a regular bench press here, but we have this, this uh, Smith machine. But I'm gonna just still use it to do a bench a workout. So the first set of the workout is just warm up. I'm just putting here so the bar is slightly lighter than the 20 kilo bar, Olympic bar. So it's maybe like 10 kilos. So on this both sides, we have 50 kilos in total right now. So this is just a regular warm up. I'm going to do a few like, you know, 10 reps or something to just warm up lightly. Warming up the muscles. And the way I structure my workouts is to do reverse pyramid training. So I do very little sets up until my working set. So like the warm-up sets are very few reps just to not exhaust the muscle. And then when I'm reaching the top working weight, which I guess today I'll try to get like 130 kilos and uh, yeah, I'll just progressively increase the weight slowly. Before we add some weight, let's answer some questions. The uh, first question is how many weekly sets do you do per body part? So per, per body part, let's say legs or chest or shoulders or back, I usually do one workout per muscle group per week. So I do like chest once a week, legs once a week, back once a week. And how many sets do I do per body part? It's gonna be like five to six sets uh, per body part. So like today when I'm doing the bench press, then I'll have five working sets and the reps are gonna be around three to six reps. For me, I like to do like a, a lighter reps and uh, heavier loads. But sometimes I'll just do like eight reps as well. Let's add a bit of weight. So these are 20 kilo plates again. It's gonna increase the weight of the bar to 90 kilos, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, we're gonna just do a few, few reps again. Okay, so that was four reps. Uh, before adding the next 20 kilos, I'll just add some lighter weight for now, 10 kilos. So that's going to be 
110 kilos in total on the bar. Next question, uh, benefits of carb cycling. So I think carb cycling as a baseline default is very useful for making it easy to lose weight and also improving blood sugar levels and other biomarkers. So the way I do it is that my default food is going to be like vegetables some, and some protein, but uh, based on my physical activity, I'll increase the carbohydrate intake. So today, after my workout, I'll probably have some more higher carbohydrates, like potatoes, rice, or fruits and stuff like that. And on the other days, when I haven't worked out, then I'll try to reduce the carbohydrate intake. I'm going to stick mostly to vegetables and uh, proteins. I think that's, you know, especially for the a person who isn't super physically active, then the carb cycling makes more sense. Whereas if you're already like athletic and very lean and healthy, then you, know, you have less to gain from carbohydrate cycling, but it can still be a useful strategy to like lose weight and make it easy to maintain lean body composition. Okay, another set. These are, these are all still like warm-up sets. I'm just warming up to the working weight, and my goal isn't to like exhaust the muscle here. The goal is to just warm up and get used to some of the lighter or heavier weights. Okay, so this was 110 kilos. How do you keep your CRP so low? So CRP, C-reactive protein, is uh, usually used to assess inflammation status and uh, high sensitivity CRP. If it's high, then that is associated with many chronic diseases as well as increased risk of mortality. So with CRP, the lower, the better. And in different studies, they see that the lower the CRP, the lower the risk of mortality. So you want to keep your CRP pretty much close to zero and as low as possible. The problem with a lot of the labs is that they don't go specific enough. So sometimes they'll cut off their CRP at 0.5. So they'll say 0.5 or less than 0.5 which you know, might mean that your CRP can actually be lower. So it's just the test doesn't go specific enough. And some of them are 0.3, some of them are 0.1. So if it's 0.1, then it's that's you know, pretty much close to zero. And you want to find a lab that measures the CRP as sensitively as possible. So like, you know, trying to get as close to zero as you can. But if your CRP is you know, 1.5, then it doesn't matter the specificity of the test that much. Uh, because your CRP is already above what the test detects. So how do you lower that? You know, it mostly comes down to some of the basics and fundamentals. Regular exercise, good sleep, uh, an anti-inflammatory diet that isn't high in ultra-processed foods and high amounts of sugar and high amounts of uh, fats. That is quite, quite important. But what matters more, most, I think, is just maintaining a good body composition. So if you're lean you don't have a lot of body fat, then your CRP and inflammation levels are going to be also lower. So excess adiposity, especially visceral adiposity, the fat around the organs, is like constantly secreting these pro-inflammatory cytokines into your bloodstream that can cause immune problems, cause metabolic problems, cause insulin resistance, and cause other you know, health ailments. So maintaining a leaner body composition with less visceral fat specifically is uh, important. And, but even like general, the subcutaneous fat around the skin, that is also still going to be more pro-inflammatory than anti-inflammatory. And muscle tissue with, you know, 
over the past few years, we've uh, discovered that muscle tissue is more like an organ and does have immunomodulatory effects as well. So muscle tissue releases these anti-inflammatory myokines, whereas adipose tissue releases these pro-inflammatory cytokines. So less fat, more muscle is key. Exercise regularly, make sure you don't sleep deprive yourself, getting enough of like sunlight exposure, maintaining good vitamin D levels, maintaining other biomarkers as well, making sure you don't have nutrient deficiencies. So some of the nutrient deficiencies could also raise your CRP. So for example, if you're not getting enough methyl donors, B vitamins, as well as trimethylglycine, then uh, your inflammation, especially homocysteine, which is another inflammatory marker that can also raise. So yeah, I guess that's the answer. Like, you know, besides, there's no like specific supplement that could lower your CRP directly aside from maybe supporting methylation or, you know, there is some evidence that curcumin could also have like mild anti-inflammatory effects, but not, it's not going to be like the game changer. Like the biggest game changer is going to be the body composition and uh, like a cleaner diet, making sure that the diet isn't uh, very ultra processed, if that makes sense. Okay. So this is the first, I don't know, I haven't lifted this weight in a long time. So let's see how many reps can I even get, maybe like one or two. But if we're, if we're going to do good, then we might get even a little bit more. Uh, but let's see. I've been, I've been dieting a lot recently, so my strength isn't as high as before. Okay, we got two reps. That's good. So yeah, like, not as strong as I used to be because of the calorie restriction. So we're going to reduce some of the weight to get more reps and make it more effective for the stimulus. Like, I could do two reps with the 130 kilos all the time, but then I would have to do, like, eight sets or something. So I don't have that much time. So instead, I'm going to lighter the load do more reps per set. So I'm going to aim for like five reps with 110 kilos. And that's going to still be more time efficient to get the same muscle growth signal. Next question, can whey protein be inflammatory? So whey protein is, I think, the most bioavailable form of protein. And it's certainly the most effective for absorption. It has like all the amino acids, essential amino acids. Is it inflammatory? Well, it depends on your immune system and your allergies. So if you are allergic to dairy, specifically whey, then yes, it can, you know, cause some inflammation for some people. Uh, dairy is also some of those foods that if you have acne or if you have skin problems or you're predisposed to getting acne, then dairy can be one of those big triggers for getting acne. But whey protein in healthy individuals generally is actually not inflammatory. It's specifically even like whey protein has these uh, immunoglobulins. So these are these very, uh, let's say, beneficial molecules for the immune system that help to re regulate the immune system. And uh, it actually raises those immunoglobulins. So whey protein itself isn't anti-inflammatory. For some people who are sensitive to dairy or allergic to dairy, then yes, then it can be inflammatory. All right, another set. Let's then... Try to get more reps in with 110 kilos, I guess. Might be 115 even, I don't know. I don't know how much the bar weighs.
Okay, we even got six. That's great. Um, I always want to leave like one or two reps in the tank. So I'm, I might have gotten another one if I went for it, but I don't think it's uh, worthwhile to go to like complete failure all the time. Just leaving like one last rep in the tank before you fail, I think is a good enough. Your body will still adapt even if you you know, go to like 80%. You don't need to go to 100%. Next question, if calorie restriction is the key for longevity, how to not lose too much weight? Uh, that's a good question. So I've often talked on the channel that animal studies, uh, calorie restriction extends lifespan. The like evidence for humans is obviously much more limited. We don't have lifespan studies in humans, especially with something so complicated as calorie restriction and food intake. What we do know from some uh, human trials is that calorie restriction is very effective for improving risk factors for many chronic diseases like heart disease and diabetes and obesity. So if calorie restriction is you know, helping you to maintain good body composition, preventing you from becoming too overweight and preventing you from, from having like poor biomarkers, then it does have obviously like a beneficial effect for longevity. So how much you know, calorie restriction do you need? I don't think based on the current evidence, you don't need to be in a specific calorie intake for longevity. What matters more is, are you in good body composition and how are your biomarkers? So if you're overweight and you have some poor biomarkers, then it's obviously, you know, you need to lose some of the weight. And uh, the only way to do that is to be in a calorie deficit whether by increasing exercise or eating less uh, calories. So just the calorie restriction by virtue of making you lose weight is going to improve your longevity. If you're already lean and muscular and physically active, then how much calories you should eat, you know, it um, comes down to, okay, what are the calories that maintain your current body composition? So you want to just eat that many calories that maintain your current, let's say, body composition and uh, prevent you from becoming too overweight. And you don't obviously want to be too calorie restricted because if you are yeah, in calorie restriction for the rest of your life, then inevitably you will become frail. So you don't want to be in too low calorie intake either. So it comes down to just adjusting your calorie intake based on, okay, are you overweight and do you need to improve some biomarkers? Because if you are doing calorie restriction, then virtually all the biomarkers will generally improve. The, the fasting blood sugar, the hemoglobin A1C, the fasting insulin, blood pressure, lipids, triglycerides, and uh, some of the other biomarkers will improve generally if you are doing some form of uh, calorie restriction. And a lot of those benefits come from the weight loss. So <laughs> calorie restriction is just a way to achieve better body composition and, uh, and uh, weight loss. Next question, uh, what is your A1C? So the hemoglobin A1C, it measures your average blood sugar levels over the past few weeks. I did measure it here with the IWO 180 uh, like blood panel test, it measures 180 different biomarkers, and uh, based on that test, recently it was a 5.2 percent, which is very normal and uh, good, healthy range. Anything above 5.5 is going to be problematic, but below 5.5 percent is very good. Now there is, you know, some maybe pre preconceived conception or notions that that having a, a C, uh, of A1C is like 4.5 or below 5 is somehow better than 5.3 or 5.4. Uh, based on the evidence, that's not the case. Like you don't need to have your blood sugar levels super low. In some of the studies, they actually find that too low blood sugar levels are associated with increased mortality. I personally think that it's probably because of if you have very low blood sugar levels, then you might have some chronic disease or you're malnourished 
So you have just poor nutrition overall. So it's not that the low blood sugar level is inherently bad, but it's not superior either. <laughs> and uh, based on the evidence, then you know, if your hemoglobin A1C is between around five, then that's already very good. So like 4.8 to 5.2, uh, that's already very normal. Uh, if it's above 5.5, then that's uh, problematic, and you want to like curb curb that uh, blood sugar levels. All right, let's stop talking and do some more lifting in the meanwhile. Okay, this is the. I guess you can count it as a third working set. Oh. All right, another six. That's a good. Six is good. I like six. Six reps. It's uh, like a good balance between muscle hypertrophy and uh, muscle strength. Next question. Does green tea inhibit the absorption of nicotinamide riboside and NMN? So green tea, including coffee, generally does uh, inhibit the absorption of certain nutrients. So it can reduce the absorption of uh, thiamine, vitamin B1, and it can probably reduce the absorption of some other supplements that you're taking. So I would never like take supplements with coffee or with green tea either. Like I would take it with regular water and ideally have the green tea, you know, one hour after you've taken the supplements for to let them to be absorbed before you consume those uh, compounds. This is going to be the final Set for this exercise, I'm going to go for as many reps as I can. Well, at least this is the final working set, then we'll do some cooldown sets. Okay. All right. It's going to be the final. I'm also going to do one cooldown set with this. And usually my workouts are comprised of only like two to three exercises. So I usually work out for like 45 minutes with resistance training. And I do only like two to three exercises. One of them being like a main compound lift, like squat, bench, or deadlift. And then either another compound or some accessories. So I don't think that it's needed to spend like hours at the gym. And you don't need to do like three different variations of different exercises. So you don't need to do three variations for the chest, like a chest press and chest flies or whatever other kind of form or close grip wrench. <laughs> like for most people, they don't need to do that many different kinds of variations and it's just like a waste of time. In most cases, like you just do one of the main compound exercises, you're getting 80% of the results. Next question, uh, what are the most recommended blood tests and how often to schedule them and what are optimal levels? Uh, I would probably have to do like a whole separate video. I'm going to actually make a video about my blood work results with the IVO uh, panel. You can check it out. Like the IVO panel measured like 180 different biomarkers. You don't need to do all of them. It's uh, certainly not necessary to know all the specific details. I, I'll give you like a few of the top ones that I think are worthwhile. You know, I would certainly measure my fasting blood sugar, hemoglobin A1C, fasting insulin. Those three are going to be important for your metabolic health in terms of blood sugar regulation. If your hemoglobin A1C or fasting insulin are high, then that can be a sign of, you know, either prediabetes or heading towards there. Uh, then from the lipid panel, I would look at triglycerides, LDL cholesterol, total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, VLDL, 
And, uh, you know, the reason why, so with cholesterol, it's not as important as the lipoproteins, like the lipoproteins are more associated with heart disease than just LDL. So ApoB and lipoprotein A are more relevant for atherosclerosis. But the reason why the doctors use cholesterol, LDL and total cholesterol, is because it's also a good surrogate or it's a good estimate of your ApoB levels. So if you have high cholesterol, then chances are, or it's very likely that your ApoB and lipoprotein A are also elevated. So the reason your doctor just looks at the cholesterol is because the cholesterol is cheaper and it's a semi-good estimate of your ApoB levels as well. There are like some cases around 20% of cases where the two doesn't match. So like imagine a situation where you have high LDL but low ApoB. So that's around 20% of cases in normal people. If you have diabetes, then it's, it's up to like 70 to 80% of difference or a discordance between those two. So if you have diabetes, then it could be that the ApoB and LDL don't match. But if you are in a general population, then it's only 20% of people or 20% of cases. So LDL and total cholesterol can be a good estimate of your ApoB levels if you don't want to measure them or if you uh, can't measure them for some reason, financial reasons, or if the doctor doesn't measure that. If your LDL or total cholesterol is high, then it's very likely that your ApoB is also high. But if you can, then I would certainly measure the ApoB and lipoprotein A as well. Those are going to be just more accurate or more relevant biomarkers for atherosclerosis. Besides that, CRP, like we talked about, keeping that as low as possible is beneficial for all-cause mortality risk and heart disease. So a CRP of like 0.1 is generally going to be the best. But again, some labs don't go that specific. Some labs cap out at 0.5 or even 1.0. But if you can find a lab that measures it all the way to 0.1, then that's a more accurate and you want to keep it pretty much below 0.1 as much as possible. For general health and immune system function, then you obviously want to measure also vitamin D3 and your like white blood cells, neutrophils, those kind of things. So white blood cells are generally good to assess your immune system function. If your white blood cells are low, then you either had an infection recently or you could also have a weaker immune system. So it's just a, like a good measurement to look at. Liver function... So GGT and ALT and those kind of things are also good to look at. And then lastly, maybe kidney function, EGFR, creatinine, and BUN, those kind of things are going to be relevant for the kidneys. Now, how often do you need to get like a full, complete panel? I think most people who are interested in health and longevity, then like once a year is good enough to get like a pretty comprehensive panel that's going to look at, you know, like the 180 blood panel test that can be pretty good once a year for the more enthusiastic biohacker or a person into longevity. The average person, the general population, they can just look at some of the main ones like the glucose, kidney function, liver function, cholesterol, lipids, and lipoproteins, and they can cap it out that there. And lastly, I think uh, for men, especially looking at your testosterone and free testosterone is also worthwhile, you know, Low testosterone levels are pretty prevalent nowadays, and the average testosterone is lower than it was a few decades ago. So if you are, let's say, experiencing signs of fatigue, tiredness, weight gain, and mood issues, and those things, sleep issues, then that can be from low testosterone as well. And you know, the only way to actually know is to look at your blood work, and uh, testosterone and free testosterone uh, specifically. And from there, you, know, you have to you know, consult with your doctor 
about the options, you know, the first things are, again, like some of very basic things, uh, exercise, losing weight, uh, sleep, good diet, sunlight. If you're like, you know, there's connection between different biomarkers, like there's a connection between testosterone levels and some minerals like boron, but, uh, but like vitamin D levels as well are very linked to testosterone levels. So, you know, it's an entire package. You need to, you know, besides measuring them, you have to also know how to interpret the blood work and, you know, the doctor can generally help with uh, a lot of those things that, okay, this is, what, this is what's too high for you, this is for too low for you, these are some of the recommendations that you need to uh, follow. And let's, this, is like, this is like what I call a cool down set. So this is 100 kilos and I'm gonna go for like, you know, 10 reps or something like that to just finish, finish the exercise. Okay, I got 15 reps, which is good. And yeah, I'm gonna finish with the bench press right now. And we'll finish the workout with, with some accessories. I like to actually do forearms as well when I'm doing any upper body, because I think they're good, you know, good for the grip strength. And I just, I think they're more like functional. And I don't do like that specific workouts for my forearms, so I'll just use them always as a finisher in my upper body workouts. And one of the kind of easiest one easier exercise for the forearms and grip is just going to be the hammer smith or hammer curls, sorry. It's just biceps curls, but this way. And I'll try to do like 10 reps per arm, but I think the weight is a bit lighter. So I need to change it up. Next question, is TMG good if you don't take NMN or nicotinamide riboside? So TMG, trimethylglycine, usually people take it uh, with NMN to prevent the loss of methyl donors. Uh, that may ha might happen with NMN. Certainly depends on the dose if you need to take it and what's your general methylation status. Is TMG good to take alone? Uh, yes, because TMG is uh, still a very good like methyl donor in of itself. TMG has like some very beneficial effects for homocysteine. So if your homocysteine are high, then uh, DMG can help to uh, lower that. That is, that is, that's one of the metal donors that can do that. There's also some interesting research about TMG and exercise performance. So people who take TMG, they might even notice some um, increased strength and endurance. So yeah, I think, especially if you have like poor methylation genes, then uh, TMG is uh, very, very good. Okay. Okay, I've been actually working out for around 35 minutes or something, I think, and I'm already starting to finish. So, I, you know, as you can see, <laughs> it doesn't have to take a long time. And next question, how do you double or triple testosterone for men? <laughs> so how you, whether or not you can double or triple it 
depends where you're starting from. If your testosterone is like 100 nanograms, then of course, yeah, you could triple, you could even quadruple it with TRT or something like that. And, but if your testosterone is already like 800, then it's very unlikely that you're going to double it, even with steroids or testosterone replacement therapy. Some easy ways to at least see a significant increase in your testosterone, or at least like a you know, worthwhile increase, besides, again, some of the fundamentals, you know, losing some weight, sleeping more, doing heavier compound lifts. So like what you find is that heavier compound lifts with the barbell and free weights, that yields a significantly greater testosterone and growth hormone response than machines. So if you're working out with machines, changing to the compound lifts with free weights, uh, I would predict that would, uh, like at least in the short term, see a change in your testosterone levels. The same applies to sleep. If you're only sleeping six hours per night, especially sleep like sleep quality. If your sleep quality is bad, and you still sleep seven to eight hours, then fixing the sleep quality can result in some uh, dramatic improvements in testosterone levels. Like you might have sleep apnea, maybe. You can't breathe through the nose uh, like at night, so that can reduce your sleep quality, lower your testosterone levels, and cause some other health problems. So if you fix the sleep apnea, you get more sleep. Like if you sleep only six hours, try to get eight hours, and you will see your testosterone levels are rising. The same applies to vitamin D levels. If your you know vitamin D levels are in a deficiency range, then getting more sunlight or taking vitamin D supplement, uh, then that can also improve the testosterone levels. And lastly, one, one study, did, they did find that boron supplementation, so boron is a mineral many people aren't getting enough of. It has a role in regulating testosterone and estrogen levels. So men and women who were deficient in boron, then boron supplementation, even within a few weeks, uh, resulted in doubling the testosterone levels. Now, granted, those individuals didn't have super high testosterone levels either, but it uh, goes to show that some of the you know, nutrient deficiencies even can dramatically affect your testosterone levels or estrogen levels in women as well, because boron is also beneficial for women for their estrogen levels. So yeah, I think many people aren't getting enough boron, and from all the supplements, then I think boron is one of the most effective supplements for testosterone, so like natural supplements. And as a last final exercise, I'm going to do some dumbbell flies, so side ladder, lateral raises. This is for the shoulders and delts. And this is mostly like just an aesthetic exercise. It's uh, not that, you know, it's not going to improve my bench press <laughs> that much, but it can increase the hypertrophy in the shoulders and the delts, which is more like yeah, you look cooler <laughs> in terms of the body aesthetics and you know it's a nice exercise as well for a finisher not really trying to lift heavier weights just aiming for higher reps so like 12 15 reps all right that's it this is the end of my workout this is the end of the q a if you want to ask me a question then make sure you follow me on instagram at cnund where I do those Q&As there regularly. If you also want to join me the next time I am in India to do the entire IWO retreat, getting all your 180 biomarkers tested, your VO2max test, your DEXA scan, your MRI, your CT scan, the entire you know, full body pretty much analysis, you can stay tuned for the next announcement of the IWO retreat. 
by subscribing to my email list or following me on Instagram. Other than that, thanks for watching this video. Make sure you click a like, subscribe. My name is Seem. Stay optimized, stay empowered.